listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. So we're continuing our series now in the Sermon on the Mount, picking up right where we left off last week. We looked at the Lord's Prayer last week, and and now we're going to take a deeper dive into the issue of forgiveness, which is included in the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is going to be a tough message. It's tough for me to preach, and it's going to be tough, I think, for a lot of us to hear, but the Holy Spirit's going to help us. And I want to just pause and pray uh, just before we get into the sermon And let's really make this a prayer where we, out of worship, commit ourselves as best we can to listen to what the Holy Spirit might want to say. Through a limited communicator, the Holy Spirit can speak powerfully in a moment like this when we've gathered together in worship, and that includes myself. So let's all commit to hearing as well as we can uh, and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your presence in this room. This is a holy moment. The preaching of your word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I just pray right now that, number one, that you would empower me to do the best job I I can. But ultimately, Lord, you are uh, the sower of this word. And I pray that your word would find good soil. I pray that we would listen and hear humbly, with humble hearts, allowing you full access to every thought pattern in our mind, every chamber of our heart, as best we can. We want to humble ourselves before you, your word, and I pray that the power of the gospel uh, would transform today, even in ways that we may not even see and understand. We invite you to do your surgical work in our hearts and lives so that we can be healthy people carrying the light of the gospel in this dark world. In Jesus' name. Amen. We do live in a dark world. We live in a world that's gone horribly wrong. I think everybody here can agree with that statement. Things like war, poverty, injustices of various kinds, all of these are primary witnesses to the reality that we live in a world that is fundamentally broken. I mean, we don't need just a few tweaks here and there. We need a complete overhaul of the way that we imagine what human life and society can look like. And what lies at the root of what's gone fundamentally wrong in the world, I realize there are a lot of different problems and there are a lot of different ways to go about addressing issues, but I think if you take all of it and boil it down to its essence, what lies at the foundation of what is broken about the world is the brokenness of the human heart. In other words, I'll say it like this, What's broken about the world is human sin, ultimately. And for the problem of human sin, there's not going to be a purely political solution. And there's not going to be a purely economic solution, or educational solution, or military solution. For the problem of human sin, the only solution, it begins with the message of Christian forgiveness. Now, when I say that, when I say that term, Christian forgiveness, I mean, yes, first of all, the forgiveness that we are recipients of that flow from the cross of Jesus Christ. We receive forgiveness. Yes, that's where it starts. 
But having received that forgiveness, we are then to be formed by that forgiving power, by mercy, so that we can then go forth as forgivers, merciful forgivers, bringing healing to a world that's gone horribly wrong. This is the message of Jesus Christ in the midst of a world of payback, vengeance, retaliation, us versus them, hostility. In the midst of that, Jesus stretches out his arms on the cross, giving his life, allowing himself to be crucified by his enemies. And what comes out of his mouth is not, avenge my blood. What comes out of his mouth is, Father, forgive them. So that hatred and evil and retaliatory violence and us versus them could find a place to die. He just absorbs it into his flesh and recycles it. And what comes back is unfathomable love and forgiveness. And our job at Village is not just to gaze upon Jesus on the cross and say, I am so glad Jesus did that so I can be forgiven. Yes, that's absolutely where it starts. But having received that forgiveness, we're called now to take up our cross and imitate our Savior and go forth under His power living a cross-shaped life. This is what brings healing to a world that's gone desperately wrong. And perhaps it begins by doing what we talked about last week when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we pray things like this, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. Now last week I emphasized the importance of praying that in the plural, which we need to. But just for the sake of making a point today, let's put it in the singular. So you pray, Father, forgive me my trespasses as I also forgive those who have trespassed against me. Or to just put it in different words, Father, I want you to forgive me my wrongs in the same manner that you've seen me forgive those who have wronged me. Now, if you pray that, have you blessed or cursed yourself? <laughs> if, if you're the kind of person who says, I, I don't get mad, I just get even. Or I'll forgive, but I don't forget. Come on, do we want that to be God's disposition towards us? And that brings me to our text today. Chapter 6 of Matthew, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When I think of God's forgiveness, the mercy of God, I see it as a powerful river that's just constantly flowing. When I was a little boy, I grew up about three miles away from the Mississippi River, just around New Orleans at its widest point. The Mississippi River, it may be hard for you to think of it, it's like a mile across. It's massive, and it's moving, baby. You don't want to swim across the Mississippi River. It'll pull you under. The, the currents are way too powerful. It is moving. It's rapidly flowing. And I see the mercy of God as a powerful river that's just coursing through. And if I want to 
If I want the river of God's mercy to flow to me, I have no choice but to allow it to flow through me and extend to those who have wronged me. It's a river that cannot be stopped. I mean, you can put up a barrier and it'll just change course. And I'll, I'll even put it like this. It is psychologically impossible to f- be fully in touch with my need, my utter desperate need for the mercy of God and to receive it and to fully appreciate the mercy of God and not want to extend that to someone else. It's a river that's constantly flowing. And the moment I put up a barrier, God's mercy is a river that will change course and find somewhere else that will cooperate with its flow. So we join Jesus and we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray, forgive us. But we also join him when he cries from the cross, forgive them. We pray both prayers. The follower of Jesus prays both prayers. Forgive us, forgive them. Forgive us, forgive them. Lord's Prayer, forgive us, cry from the cross, forgive them. Forgive us, forgive them. Until us and them dissipates and they just melt together into one category. It's just the forgiven. And this is how God begins to heal a world that's broken when we follow him in the way of forgiveness. I want to give it to you in a story this morning. I want to tell you a story. It's a true story. It's a story that uh, perhaps many of you are familiar with. Maybe you remember this event. And I'm going to be up front with you here. Um, it's, it's, not, um, it's not an easy story to listen to. It's a very heavy story. But, but I'm going to tell it today because, number one, I think you can handle it. And number two, it's a story that just needs to be told over and over again. On October 2nd, 2006, Charles Cross Roberts IV carried his guns and his rage into a single-room Amish schoolhouse near Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Five young schoolgirls died that day Five others were critically wounded before he turned the gun on himself and pulled the trigger. As you all know, unfortunately, here in America, school shootings have become all too common. They happen all the time. Most of the time, we don't even hear about them. They've just become commonplace. They barely even make the news anymore. They don't stay on the news for very long. It's just we become accustomed to school shootings. We become accustomed to... It's just part of what we come to expect. But not when it happens in quiet Amish country, in rural Pennsylvania. And perhaps it's for that reason why we, as a nation, we were captivated by this tragedy when it happened 16 years ago. Charles Roberts was a 32-year-old truck driver who lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, with his loving wife, Amy and their three children. And they were a church-going family. But Charles Roberts was a deeply embittered soul. Just nine years earlier, Charles and Amy lost their firstborn infant daughter when she died just a few minutes after she was born. And of course, it just plunged them into deep, profound grief 
and sorrow. Nevertheless, Charles could have chosen to just continue living a relatively happy life with his loving wife, Amy, and his three children. But instead, he allowed uh, the bitterness over his daughter's death to consume him and turn him into a monster, a ticking time bomb. In his suicide note, Charles admitted to having sexually molested two younger relatives when he was 12 years old. Although the relatives have no recollection of, of this, the shame over that, combined with the rage over his infant daughter's death, formed a deadly toxin in his soul. And he became angry with God, angry with life, angry at himself. And in his mind, somebody had to pay. And because he could not exact vengeance upon God directly and make God pay, he decided he was going to find some innocent young girls and make them pay for the death of his daughter. So on the sunny fall morning of October 2nd, Charles Roberts entered into that single room, single room schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, armed with a 9mm pistol, a 12-gauge shotgun, a 30-odd-6 rifle, two knives, and 600 rounds of ammunition. In the classroom were 26 students with their teacher. And just earlier, just at the beginning of the day, about an hour or so earlier, the children in that classroom together prayed the Lord's Prayer. They prayed... Father, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. Deliver us from evil. Roberts entered into that classroom. He made every student lay face down on the ground in the front of the classroom. Something got a hold of him and he allowed all of the boys to leave. He allowed the teacher to leave. And then he barricaded the doors and there were 10 young girls remaining between the ages of 6 and 13 bound their hands and feet together with duct tape, shot all ten of them in the head. Five of them died instantly, the other five were critically wounded, and then he turned the gun on himself and pulled the trigger. And during this event, his wife Amy was attending a prayer group at the local Presbyterian church. Unspeakable evil. Absolute life-shattering tragedy. It doesn't get any worse than that. The slaughter of innocent children. And that could have been the end of the story. It very well could have been just one more senseless massacre carried out by a madman, one of so many others. It could have been the end of the story. But instead, as our nation reeled from the news of this senseless massacre that happened in Amish country in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, as we heard the news and were so stirred by once again the slaughter of innocent children, we would become stunned at the demonstration of radical forgiveness. Just hours after the shooting, a group of men from the Amish community went to the home of Amy Roberts, the widow of the gunman, and they embraced her and expressed forgiveness. They brought with them gifts of food for Amy and her children and told her they had forgiven her husband and held no animosity towards her. 
They also promised to help her and her kids with whatever they might need in the future. That same evening, another Amish man visited Charles Roberts' father to offer him comfort. According to a witness, he stood there for an hour and he held that man in his arms and said, we forgive you. In the days following, Robert's parents received many more visits from members of the Amish community, offering condolences and expressing forgiveness. On the evening of the killings, as one of the grieving Amish families gathered around the coffin of a young girl who was killed that morning, as they gathered around this family member's coffin, the grandfather of that little girl spoke to the other young kids who were in that home and he said, we shouldn't think evil of the man who did this. The same man later would tell the Associated Press, I hope they, speaking of Roberts' widow and her family, he said, I hope they stay around here. They'll have lots of friends and a lot of support. Five days later, listen to this. Five days later, when the Roberts family gathered to bury the gunman in the cemetery of Georgetown United Methodist Church, more than half of the 75 mourners that day were members of the Amish community. Some of the very people who gathered around Amy Roberts and gave her hugs of support were parents who had just buried their child a day or two earlier. One of the Roberts family members described it this way. They said about 35 or 40 Amish people came to the funeral. They shook our hands and cried. They embraced Amy and the children. There were no grudges, no hard feelings, only forgiveness. It's just hard to believe they were able to do that. Only forgiveness. For these Amish people, followers of Jesus, they understood there is no other option on the table but only forgiveness. There was no talk of reprisals, no talk of getting even, no talk of making someone pay. They imitated their Savior, took up their cross, lived the Sermon on the Mount because they knew that forgiveness is the only path of healing in the world. The funeral director who witnessed the actions of the Amish community at Robert's burial recalled that moment with these words. The funeral director said, I was lucky enough to be at the cemetery when the Amish families of the children who had been killed came to greet Amy Roberts and offer their forgiveness. And that is something I'll never forget, not ever. I knew that I was witnessing a miracle. So here's what I want you to see about this. I mean, there's several things I want you to see here, but here's the first thing I want to draw your attention to. This act of forgiveness, first of all, it changed the storyline. In, in the weeks and the months that followed, the media stopped referring to this as the Nickel Mines tragedy. And they started calling it the Nickel Mines miracle. And it was a deliberate echo of the cross. You know, church, in just a few days, a week from this Friday, we're going to gather together in this room and we're going to have a Good Friday service. Why in the world do we call it Good Friday? 
I mean, let's just be clear. This, we're talking about the brutal torture and killing of a purely innocent man. And we call it Good Friday. Why? Because Jesus changed the storyline. Jesus absorbed the blow, put an end to the cycle of vengeance, and responded with only forgiveness. And these Amish people understood that we're called not just to be recipients of this forgiveness that flows from the cross. We're called now to be formed by it and to now become practitioners of this forgiveness, extending, extending it to the world around us. And that's probably why they had that classroom full of young kids every morning join together and pray the Lord's Prayer. See, here's what I, I need you to see is that it's not like they just woke up that day, saw the news and said, I wonder how sh we should respond. Maybe we should forgive. This was not a spontaneous decision. This is a community of people who have been formed over time by the Holy Spirit to understand that the only response even imaginable to us is forgiveness. This was a process of community formation over a long period of time through prayer, through worship, through scripture, through the spiritual disciplines. And over time, this practice of forgiveness just became part of their instinct. This is who we are. We don't have to think about what to do. It's just going to flow out of us because we've been formed this way. As, as Paul says in Colossians, let the message of Christ dwell richly in you. He says elsewhere in Colossians, set your mind on things above. This is what this community had done. And this is what Village Church must do. So that in the heat of the moment when somebody wrongs you, it becomes second nature eventually. It may not happen on day one of your Christian walk. It may happen on day 300. It may happen on day 300,000. But at some point, this has to be the trajectory where Jesus is leading us so that when we are wronged, we're capable of following the example of our Savior, absorbing the blow and responding with Calvary-formed forgiveness. And it's that kind of Christianity that can change the world and is changing the world. May we have eyes to see and participate in that. When these, when these five little girls that morning prayed, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. Who would have known? Who could have known that the trespasses that would need to be forgiven that day would be their murder? And how about when they prayed, deliver us from evil? Was that an unanswered prayer that day? I don't believe so. Even though they weren't delivered from the evil of their murder, their community was delivered from the evil of being defined by evil. And they refused to allow evil to have the last word. Forgiveness had the last word. And their act of forgiveness, of course, does not erase the tragedy it transcends the tragedy. And this is what we need to understand about forgiveness. Christian forgiveness is not amnesia and it's not ignorance. In fact, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to tell it to you this way and it may sound provocative. You're called to forgive, but you're not called to forget. Who can forget Good Friday? Who can forget Auschwitz or Nickel Mines? We're not called to forget. We must remember these things. 
but we're called to forgive. And forgiveness is not ignoring the evil. Forgiveness is not minimizing the evil. Forgiveness is not pretending the evil did not happen. Forgiveness is transcending the evil and overcoming the evil by giving the cycle of vengeance a place to die and overcoming it with forgiveness. This is what Christ does on the cross when he stretches out his arms and prays, Father, forgive them. How do you retaliate against that? I mean, evil now has nothing else to do, has nowhere else to go. It has spent itself on Jesus, it's exhausted itself on Jesus, and it's run out of steam. It's run out of its course. And Jesus overcomes it with, Father, forgive them. Forgiveness changes everything. When you choose to forgive, it now becomes your story, not your offender's story. When, you're choo- when you choose to forgive, you may be touched by evil, but you don't have to be defined by evil. When you choose to forgive, you are given the potential to transcend tragedy. And you overcome evil with good. Now I want you to listen. This is what I'm going to close with. What I'm telling you about, what I'm talking about this morning, this is not like some mere philosophy that you can do on your own. In fact, I want to tell you explicitly, you cannot live this way on your own. A lifestyle of radical forgiveness, you in and of yourself, you are not capable of this. I think that ought to set you free a little bit this morning. As a regular human being on your own, you cannot live the Jesus way of radical forgiveness. You're not capable. It's going to require the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the fuel in the engine. Dallas Willard puts it like this. He, he, he gives us a beautiful illustration. Pastor Wade used this a few months ago in a different fashion, but in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard talks about how in the 1930s, the United States of America, um, just in the urban areas, had the power of electricity. They were, they were benefiting from it. But in all of rural America, there was no electronic grid. There were no power poles, no power lines. So people were still living with the old way of doing things. They still had ice boxes and washboards and, and living by candlelight. This is all they had. So in the 1930s, as part, part of um, FDR's New Deal legislation, there was what was called the Rural Electrification Act. And the government provided funding to be able to contract companies to now actually build this, this electric grid all across America, they planted poles, they stretched wire, and they connected it into homes so that every single American could now have the potential to live in this new kingdom called electricity. Which means we got to let go of our old way of doing life. We, we don't have to use washboards and, and ice boxes and candles anymore. Now a whole new way of life is possible. We got to let go of the old way, but now we can embrace a new way. But listen, here's where I want to take this. What enabled electricity to flow into our homes was the structure, the poles that were planted, the wire that was stretched. Electricity needs the structure and the grid so we can benefit from its power. It's not the grid itself that enables us to live a new way of life. No, no. Electricity allows us to benefit from electricity and air conditioning. How many of y'all are thankful for air conditioning in Southern California? My gosh. When I first moved here, my first week here, everybody's talking about how hot it is. I said, you had no idea. The humidity is like non-existent here compared to southern Louisiana. And then I, then I started living here for a few months. I was like, it is hot. It is hot. Thank God for AC. 
So it's not the electrical poles and the wire itself that empowers my home. No, 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 that's electricity. But the power has to flow through a structure in order for me to be capable of embracing this new way of living. This is how the kingdom of God is. The power that enables you and I to live the Jesus way of life is the power of God. It's not something we conjure up in ourselves, but you better believe we have a role to play. We gotta plant some poles and we gotta stretch some wire so the Holy Spirit can flow into our lives, into our homes, into our church and our community and the light of the gospel explodes in this dark world. So we need the structure, we need the grid, we need the poles and the wire. What am I talking, what is that? I'm talking about healthy practices of prayer. I'm talking about communal worship every week, gathering with believers every week, absorbing and memorizing and being formed by scripture. Practices like giving and serving and fasting. These are the structures that the power of the Holy Spirit can flow through that enables us to live the Jesus way of forgiveness. But we not we got to have the Holy Spirit. If, if the worst thing that could happen here this morning is for you to be inspired by this sermon and say, "Wow, what a what a moving story about forgiveness. I want to go forth and live I want to try to be more forgiving from now on." Probably not. It's probably not going to happen. It'll probably last all the way until tomorrow afternoon. You cannot do this. What you do though is you cooperate with what the Holy Spirit will do through practices of worship and prayer and scripture. And that's, you gotta have both. You have to have both. And so we wanna be a church that number one, is faithful to Jesus' vision of where he's taking us. We, we have to see a vision of what, what life can be under his reign. But we don't wanna stop there. We need the vision. We also need the structures that make the vision possible in our lives. And all of that is a cooperation with the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So we pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, just as Jesus breathed upon the disciples, Father, we pray, breathe upon us and pour your Holy Spirit upon us so that we might live this, that we might actually live this message of forgiveness, not just so that we can know about it, talk about it, build doctrines and theology about it, but that we might actually be known as a loving and forgiving people breathed upon by the Holy Spirit, that we might live this way. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.